Good morning. It really is a joy to be with you, and it was a joy to be with the uh, forum, and um, it's, it's been a, a, a real blessing, um, and a particular joy to uh, meet Andrew and Sarah and, and to catch up with, with Luis and Lou. Uh, I must tell you that uh, Luis and I go way back. He's a lot older than I am, but... <laughs> We were both young priests back in the late 70s in the Diocese of North Carolina, and um, I have so much affection for him and respect, um, but it's just wonderful to be able to reconnect, brother. It's so good to be with you, and I know your congregation is glad to see you. Um, it's, yeah, it's glad to see, kind of like a resurrection, it really is. <laughs> And I, I do, I'm beginning to feel a little bit guilty. Um, last weekend, I was um, to be at the, at the cathedral, the National Cathedral here, and um, with your bishop, Bishop Marianne, and um, she had surgery, and she's doing, very, doing well, and keep her in prayer, but she had surgery, and so I kind of pinch hit for her Saturday night at the, at the vigil. Um, I was only scheduled to preach, but so I pinched hit for her. And then I'm coming to you today, and now your rector has had surgery. You may not want to invite me back to the Diocese of Washington, <laughs> but it really is just a joy to be with you and um, to thank you for your continued witness, um, the witness uh, Luis and you um, all make together, uh, not only here, but we pay attention to what you do and say around the country. And I thank you for that witness to a church and a way of faith that really does look something like the love of God that we have seen in Jesus of Nazareth. And I thank you for that. And so I'm glad to be with you this morning and to hear this marvelous choir and to be with you. And um, I'm just glad to be here. I hope you all are glad to be here. All right, all right, just turn and tell your neighbor, you know what? I'm glad to be here. Just tell them. It is. It's Episcopalian Evangelism 101. Just tell somebody something good. Just something. <laughs> Allow me, if you will, to offer some reflections from the gospel lesson from John 20, where Jesus, at the end of a conversation with Thomas and the other disciples, says this, Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. The title of this sermon is just one word. Well, it's two. Just believe. Just believe. I didn't say understand. I didn't even say agree with it. Just believe. And that will make all the difference in the world. I fantasized earlier this week when I was thinking about this text. I said, what would it have been like in the first century if they had had smartphones? And what selfies would we be seeing from Easter Day? <laughs> I mean, you can kind of see a selfie with Jesus, you know, kind of. Um, which is why the Lord did it in the first century, because he knew we would have messed it up. But... 
But it occurred to me that I suppose if Mary Magdalene, who was the first one to really discover that Jesus had been raised from the dead, if she had taken a selfie with the risen Christ and gone and shown it to the other disciples, I wonder would it have made it easier for them to believe? On one level, I suppose it would have, um, but they probably would have had to have gotten some, some forensic folk to make sure that he wasn't photoshopped in there. But if they could have proved conclusively that he wasn't photoshopped, that it was actually a picture, if you will, with a selfie with Jesus, would that have made it easier to believe? It might have helped, but I don't think it would have helped. I don't think it would have helped Thomas. He wasn't there that Easter day when Jesus first appeared and they were able to see him and hear him and almost touch him. He wasn't there, and when, they, when he came back and they told him, they said, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He's alive. Of course he responded, yeah, right. In the 21st century and in the 1st century, dead folk don't come back from the grave. Now, they may do it in the movies, but they don't come back from the grave in real life. And if they do, I'm not hanging around. <laughs> No, he, he had every reason not to buy the story. I mean, there's a normal incredulity. There's, it makes some sense. Um, it didn't jive with reality. Um, and even if they had shown him a picture, that probably wouldn't have convinced him, though it might have helped a little bit. No, no. It was that week later when Jesus appeared to them again that this time Thomas actually saw him, um, and he saw the wounds that were still there. They may have been healed, but they were still there, which tells us something about healing. It doesn't always go all the way. It transforms the pain and the wounds, but they're still there. When he sees the wounds, he knows, like a fingerprint. Oh, my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, now have you believed because you've seen me? Would you have believed if you just saw my selfie? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I have a feeling that Thomas's issue was a deeper one than simply not being able to believe what really does seem pretty unbelievable. I think Thomas's issue, well, let me put it this way. The truth is, if you really think about it, Jesus really didn't um, found a religious institution. He didn't start a, a religion either, really. That wasn't in his mind. Not saying that those are bad, but that's not what the master was thinking about. Jesus began a movement a movement intended to change and transform this world, to change and transform it from the nightmare it often can be into something closer to the dream that God has intended for it to be from the very beginning. That's what Jesus was doing, a movement. And I have a feeling Peter and Andrew and James and Mary Magdalene and Mary of Johanna and all of them, the men and women who followed him, followed him because they started to believe, if you will. No, they, they began to hope again and dared to believe that maybe this movement actually could change the world because movements are the only things that ever have really changed it, that maybe when he said, blessed are the poor, 
Blessed are the poor and the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the compassionate. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst that God's righteous justice might prevail over all the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers that when he said stuff like that, it really might be the case. They started to hope and even dared to believe that when he said, listen to me, do unto others as you would have them do unto you and you can change the world. They began to hope maybe it really can change when he said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. They began to believe that maybe there was a way that we would learn to lay down our swords and shields down by the riverside and study war no more. Maybe the hungry would be fed. Maybe children would be cared for. Maybe justice would roll down like a mighty stream. Maybe there would be room on this planet for all of us. Rich and poor. Black and white. Gay, straight, transgender, Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> Maybe we could find a way to live together. They had hoped and almost dared to believe that it was possible that the world could be changed, that they could be changed. But then, he was dead. The purveyors of the status quo embodied Pontius Pilate of the Roman Empire, embodied in Herod, representative of corporate and economic interest, embodied in Caiaphas and Annas, embodied in the religious justifications. The realities of the world conspired together in an unholy alliance and killed him. And some of them walked away sad, one of the gospel writers said. And they said to themselves, we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem us. But now even he is dead. That's why Thomas couldn't believe. He couldn't believe that the world could be different. He was stuck in the world as it is and could no longer even hope, much less believe. And then he saw him. Oh, my God. It's really you. It's right. It's me, brother. But, but have you believed just because you've seen me? Blessed are those who would hope and dare to believe and then live to change this world even if they don't have the proof for doing so. Just believe. Now, am I making some sense so far? Let me do a quick check-in. I want to make sure. See, the reality is, now I'm old enough. I've been around the barn a little bit, but I'm old enough to know this world can be a tough place. In fact, I'm in Washington, D.C. I know this world can be a tough place. And things don't change easily, but they do change. They can change. And we are people of faith who follow Jesus of Nazareth, who rolled stones of inevitability aside, who quaked the earth foundations of reality, 
and rose from even the titanic power of death. Diocese of Ohio, they have a slogan they like to say that kind of summarizes what Jesus was talking about when he said, you know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Y'all remember that passage? But please say amen. You remember that passage? Yeah. Man, I'm going to say Luis has been here a long time, and y'all don't get that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jesus, that was really the cornerstone of what Jesus was talking about. Love God and love your neighbor. Well, in the Diocese of Ohio, they get to the essence of that teaching of Jesus by saying, love God, love your neighbor, and change the world. That, oh, Lord, have mercy. All right, oh, we're going to have a good time this morning. <laughs> yeah. That's what Jesus was really about and is about. He started a movement, if you will, to change and transform this world by the reality of the love of God, which is a game changer no matter how you shake it out. And, and we, I would submit, I've been going around the Episcopal Church and Senate, we, my brothers and sisters, are the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement in the 21st century. We in the movement. And this movement is about changing this world from its nightmare to God's dream. But let there be no illusions. Harry Emerson Fostick, arguably one of the greatest preachers of the last century, used to say, the world has two ways of getting rid of Jesus. The first is by crucifying him. The second is by worshiping him and then not following him. Let me get that. That's 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 some good religion there. The world's got two ways of getting rid of Jesus. First is crucify him, just kill him, just get rid of him. And the second is worship him and then don't follow him. Kind of go to church on Sunday and then do what you want on Monday. And he went on to say the truth is it's not easy. It's kind of easy on some levels to worship him because that way you get him out of your hair. You see, you just kind of do your duty. It's kind of like Stanley Howard says, it's easy to adore Christ. And admire him, but it's a whole nother thing to imitate, imitate him and to live like him. And I, I think there's some truth in that. Um, I, I mean, if you don't believe me that, that this following of Jesus is tough stuff, that it's hard to do, I want to invite you to be intentional about following Jesus when you get in your car and get in that DC traffic tomorrow. <laughs> you can lose all the religion you thought you had stored up today just in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. <laughs> Some of us, uh, Andrew, I think, was telling me that, that Bishop Nathan Baxter was with you at some point during the course of the year, and, and uh, Nathan is a, an old friend and um, uh, retired now as a bishop and was dean of the cathedral here, but uh, while we were at the House of Bishops a few weeks ago, um, he stood up to make a speech about something, and anybody who knows Nathan knows um, his speech will be um, lengthy, and, um, and he always has a prelude, uh, sort of prolegomena, if you will. Um, and so he began this address to the rest of the house by telling this story. These two little boys who were, um, they were playing and they um, had one bowl of ice cream and the older one was eating most of the ice cream and, you know, wasn't letting his younger brother have any. And, and the mother came into the room and saw the two boys kind of squabbling with the older one holding on to the bowl of ice cream. And... Um, Mother said, now, what, what's going on? The younger one said, he won't share his ice cream with me. And the mother said, now, boys, boys, I'm raising you all as Christians. What would Jesus do? And they both kind of answered, well, I guess he, he'd share the ice cream with his, with his brother. He might even give him the whole bowl. 
So the mother said, that's right, children. And so she went on back to where she was, and the two boys looked at each other, and the older one said to the younger one, today, why don't you be Jesus? Fosdick was right. It's easy to worship the Lord, but it's another thing to actually have to follow him. It's, it's not easy. It is, it is countercultural. It is counterintuitive. It is contrary to our own unenlightened self-interest, if you will. But that's what it means to follow Jesus, to follow him in the ways of love instead of following the world. We are the countercultural people of God. I grew up in a home where the name William Wilberforce was deeply honored and respected. It was almost a holy name. Now, part of that was because my daddy went to Wilberforce University, one of our historically black colleges in, in Ohio. Um, that's part of it. But part of it was because of William Wilberforce. Some of you may know um, he was in England and was very much a deeply evangelical Christian who was committed out of his faith to working to bring the trade in human flesh, the slave trade, to an end. And beginning about 1779, he joined the movement of abolitionists, those who were trying to end the slave trade in Great Britain. And he began introducing legislation in the Parliament of Great Britain in 1779. And the first time he introduced this legislation to end the slave trade, he was quite literally laughed at. The idea was so unthinkable. The slave trade was so normal. They laughed at him. And year after year, he would introduce this legislation. And they laughed, jeered, and mocked. And toward the end of that century, he grew tired and weary and was about to give up. And he received a letter from a friend and mentor who said this, and I quote, Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary in well-doing. So go on in the name of God. Go on in the power of his might till even American slavery, the vilest that the earth ever saw, shall vanish away. And it was signed, your affectionate servant, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. And that letter was just enough reminder that Wilberforce took up the cause until finally the tide of public opinion turned. And in 1804, the empire of Great Britain abolished and ended the slave trade. And a few years later, slavery. 
This world does not have to be the way it often is. And we who follow Jesus believe it can be changed. Just believe. Don't have to have all the answers. Just believe. Well, I'll sit down now. Let me. Soon. <laughs> you, you probably have heard the, the story of the, of the guy who was, um, Helene and I grew up in, in Buffalo, New York, and so whenever relatives would come from um, North Carolina, wherever they were, we always had to go to Niagara Falls. And when we were kids, we used to hate, I mean, anyway, we always had to go to Niagara Falls and to see the falls. And after a while, you kind of say, it's just water. <laughs> But anyway, I, there was a story, and I think it's a true, I think part of it's a true story, um, of, of this guy who was going to walk across the falls, and they had stretched the tightrope, and you know, people do this every once in a while, but in the, in the 19th century, he was going to walk across the falls, and uh, they had stretched the tightrope across part of it so that you could do it, and he kind of stood up in front of the crowd of people who came to see it, and he shouted to them, do you believe that I can walk across this tightrope? Everybody answered back, we believe, we believe. And so he took the pole, you know, the balancing beam, and got on the tightrope and walked across. He came back, and everybody just applauded and just, just cheered him. Is it all right for me to come out of this for a second? And, and, and they just <laughs> applauded and cheered him. And, and then he got back up, and he said, do you believe that I can walk across the falls pushing a wheelbarrow? And they said, yeah, yeah, we believe, we believe. And so he took a wheelbarrow and he, and he just pushed it across the falls and he came back and everybody just ecstatic. Well, bravo, bravo. He said, now do you believe that I can walk across these falls pushing the wheelbarrow with a blindfold on? And you can hear him say, yeah, you the man, go right ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And so... <laughs> And so he took the, you know, blindfolded it and pushed the wheelbarrow and he went across the falls and then he came back and everybody said, this guy's incredible. We believe, we believe. He said, do you believe? He said, yes, we believe. Do you really believe? Yes, we believe. Do you believe I can go across the falls blindfolded, pushing the wheelbarrow with somebody riding in the wheelbarrow? Yes, we believe, we believe. Do I have a volunteer? <laughs> My brothers and sisters, that's what it is to believe. Not necessarily to have all the answers, but to be willing to get in the wheelbarrow and to know that when you get into that wheelbarrow, you are not alone. There's a Desmond Tutu in that wheelbarrow. There's a Mother Teresa in that wheelbarrow. There's a Pope Francis in that wheelbarrow. There's a Mary Magdalene in that wheelbarrow. There are folk who have done this journey before in that wheelbarrow and holding the hands of the barrel of the Lord God Almighty. And he's got the whole world in those hands. So don't you get weary. And don't you give up on the struggle to change this world. Because we got a God. And this God lives. And this God is not finished with us yet. He's got the whole world in his hands he's got the whole world in his hands he's got the whole world in his hands he's got the whole world in his 
God love you. God bless you. And may God hold us all in those almighty hands of love. 